Well, good morning. As you've heard, my name is Chris, and my wife is Sarah. We're the Battle family. Uh, we also, uh, or yeah, you also heard I'm, I am from BC. I grew up on Vancouver Island, and I actually came to faith uh, in Jesus in the Fraser Valley about 10 years ago. So this is like a homecoming. Sarah is an honorary BC girl. She, she hails from Quebec City, so she's French-speaking. It's just one of many awesome things about her. I encourage you to, to say hello, and, and you can learn for yourself how great she is. She's going to go see our little boy. He's terrorizing uh, the nursery as we speak, probably. It was good times this morning. He wasn't pumped. He uh, wanted to stay with mom and dad, but at any rate, he, he calmed down and found a slide, and evidently everything was okay. His name's Cadman, and he's 22 months. And we also have a, another on the way who we're affectionately referring to as Peanut. And he or she will be gracing us with their presence in about February, if all goes to plan. So the other day, the, our family was getting ready to go out. And Caddy, as, as per usual, was cruising around in his, in his diaper. And he, he has a sixth sense for these things. Like he knows something that he didn't like was about to change. So he started booking it away from us as fast as his little legs could carry him. But his mother was not to be outdone by a 22-month-old. So she chased him down and started wrestling clothes onto him. And as I'm standing there watching this and kind of laughing and, and having a good time, and I know probably some of you moms are thinking, and not helping. In my defense, though, it was really funny. Like it was... It, <laughs> And it was, very, it was really interesting to watch. I couldn't pass it up. So at any rate, I, I look at it. I'm like, why do you think he hates getting dressed so much? To which she kind of smiles and looks up at me and says, well, do you like walking around in your underwear? Some things just feel right, don't they? Like, <laughs> okay, I, ha I had no defense for that. Her logic was sound. But it, it's kind of like life, though, right? Like, it, we, we think about life, and, and life can either feel right or, or not. And I have to admit, for me, life didn't always feel right. It was like driving through the valley and looking at, and, and catching maybe a glimpse of the beauty that you know is there, but understanding that this isn't the way things are supposed to be. So as I was living my life, I felt like I was merely existing rather than actually living my life. I wanted to share with you a little bit uh, about my story, both uh, for, you know, for two reasons. One, just so you can get to know me a little bit better as the new pastor here, but also what I'm going to say has, uh, it's pertinent to what we're going to be talking about from God's Word today. So I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. In fact, as I would get older, uh, I would grow to hate it, hate Christianity. I didn't like Christians, and I didn't like anything about it. And I wanted nothing to do with it. So it's kind of ironic that I'm here today in front of you and I'm a pastor and going to be preaching out of God's word. I find that kind of funny, the irony. But at any rate, uh, my parents, they were good and, and loving people and they did the best with what they knew, but they were human beings. And uh, through uh, a number of circumstances, our family ended up breaking up when I was 13, and then through that and, and my own sort of uh, dealing with it and, and processing it, I made some really, really bad decisions. And before my 14th birthday, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. Uh, quickly, these decisions I was making uh, led me into an, an abyss of, of depression and suicidal thinking. I spent time uh, 
concerted time fracturing relationship with family, with friends, with society at large. Spent time in the psych ward, had run-ins with the law, dropped out of school, had trouble keeping jobs, you know, ate out of dumpsters from time to time, right? I was quite the catch. But as things moved on, as I moved on, I started to think about my life and understand that the reason for this was because that I didn't think that I mattered. I didn't, I didn't think that anything around me mattered. I didn't know how to live life. See, it seemed like every path that I would choose, every path that I was on would lead to meaninglessness. And the reason for that is because often I was my own guide. I would think that I understood best on how to get places. There's, there's this really interesting episode of The Simpsons. It's called Missionary in, or Mission Impossible. And in it, Homer is, is wanting to watch his favorite show on PBS. But PBS, as they do from time to time, was doing a money drive. And it was interrupting his show. And so to stop this, Homer called in a pledge to Betty White and the rest of the people that were hosting this, a $10,000 pledge to which they responded, woohoo, right? Station is saved. Everybody's happy. They're wanting to congratulate Homer, but quickly discover that Homer doesn't have 10 grand. So Betty White and the rest of the characters from PBS, like Mr. Rogers and Yo-Yo Ma and the cast of Sesame Street down to Elmo, get their pitchforks in one hand and their torches in another and storm Homer's house. He gets away and he's running through the streets and they're chasing him down and he finds refuge in church with Reverend Lovejoy, the, the lovable pastor in the town. And to get him past the crowd, he sticks him in a bag of supposedly letters from the children to God. And they, he sneaks him through the crowd and he puts him, in, and you can sort of see him in a, doing something in an ironic way, puts him on a plane to Micronesia. The goal? Reverend Lovejoy wants to turn Homer into a missionary. So he sends him to Micronesia where Homer realizes that something is afoot and he starts to get upset. So he says, talks to the pilots. He says, but I don't even believe in, are you ready for it? Jeebas. I don't believe in Jeebas, says Homer. But the pilots, they don't care. His cries fall on deaf ears and they're going to land the plane anyway. And so Homer's upset and he's crying out to his God, help me, save me, Jeebas. But Jeebas is silent to Homer's prayers and they land anyway. As they get to the ground, the people that are there start to quickly emulate what Homer is doing. They start to do what he likes to do. And in true Homerian fashion, he begins his missionary work by opening a casino. I know. So with this casino now, he's taken this once noble people group and introduced violence and, and gambling and, and alcoholism and stuff. And so everything takes a quick turn for the worse, Homer realizing things need to change, need to be done, he tries to introduce religion. He tries to introduce the Jeebus way to these people. I, I used to be a follower of Jeebus. I used to kind of do things my own way, march to the beat of, of my own drum, and just kind of hope everything was going to work out. You know, fingers crossed and, and all that. But one day, something, something really incredible happened. My journey 
it took a turn because I, I decided that I wanted to get busy living. The problem was that I, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't even know it was possible, but I really, I had some hope. And I turned to, the, to God, the, the same God who I'd essentially been sticking my middle finger up to for the last 16 years. And I asked him if he would help me. We're currently in our series on favorite psalms. And though it was hard to choose, I've chosen Psalm 16. You'd like to turn there if you have your Bibles with you or your phones or tablet. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. It's going to be up on the, the background there, or you can just listen to me. You can, you can do whatever you want. I'm going to read it once through now. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land, they are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods, and I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you've given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at, heart, at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me, and I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and, and I rejoice, because my body it rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Now, I've chosen this psalm because it has given me a lot to think about and really helped me on my journey. And my hope is that it will for you too. But I, I know that as I'm reading through that, there's going to be a couple of different responses that are going to be going through your minds. First, some of you are going to be thinking, you know what, that psalm really makes me feel good about, about my God, about my faith. I really appreciate listening to that. Others of you are sitting there thinking, you know, I wonder what's for lunch today. Still more of you are thinking, you know what, that, that sounds nice, but it, it, it sounds like a pleasant fiction to me. That's just, that's not how life works, really. And then still more of you are thinking, you know what, if, if that's true, if what you've just read is true, I, I want that. Now, no matter what group you're in, I, I have a challenge. The new guy has a challenge for everybody today. Uh, for the first group, my challenge for you is to look to some of the things we're going to be talking about today, some of the things that have helped me, and my hope is that they can help you as well, that they can speak to you in new ways. You can new, learn something new about the Lord and your faith. If you're in the second group, just pay attention. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in the third or the fourth group, I, I want to ask you to give me the next hour and a half to, just kidding, no, it's like 25 minutes or something like that, to give me that time to, to help show you through reading this passage something that, that God has really shown me has been incredibly important in my walk. And this is something for all of us to remember today. You, you have one point, one thing to remember, and that's God makes life matter. God makes life matter. If you forget everything else I say, remember that one thing. And, and when I say that, what I mean by it 
is that life is meant to be lived because God created life. God, life is meant to be lived in a certain way. And that if we live life the way God has meant it to be lived, things will really start to matter. People around us are going to start to matter more. The caring for the world, the environment that we live in is going to start to matter more. Caring for ourselves, trying to become better people, that's going to start to matter more. And most importantly, worshiping God, pleasing God is really going to start to matter more. So I encourage you to uh, listen as I go. We're going to walk through the text now. And I'm just going to say, as I've said, some things that have helped me in the hopes that it'll help you. If it doesn't quench your thirst, though, I encourage you, send me an email, give me a call or something like that. I'll take you for coffee and we can, we can chat it out because I, I promise you the truths that are in here, they, they set me free. So let's dive in. Verse 1. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. So our author here is David, and, and he's starting off with a foundation here. He's letting everybody know that he's looking to the God who created all as the one to take refuge in. And, and this, this makes good sense, doesn't it? If God is, is the creator of life, looking to him for refuge, looking to him for how we're to live it, it makes sense, doesn't it? David's looking to the creator of life for well-being, and he moves on in verse 2 and says, I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. Now, I, I know in some of your translations, it's going to translate it more of a negative. It's going to say, there's no good apart from you. And if you're like me, that this full transparency, when I would read something like that, it would trip me up a little bit. What do you mean, like, there's no good apart from, from you, God? And what it means is, and this is as I was journeying and learning more about myself, as, as life would go on, I started to, to see that I would think things or I would say things or I would do things that would often hurt other people. Like whether you want to look at it like there was something missing inside of me, but at the end of the day, something needed to be cleansed. Something needed to be changed in order for my thinking and, and my words and my actions to become less hurtful. I can remember back in the day, about 15 years ago, I was living uh, on the island. I was in Nanaimo, and I was managing this little lounge in downtown. And I would come home from night, uh, at night after work, and I would bring these really gross rags home, soaked with whatever and, and stuff, and then I would wash them and, and dry them. And I was living with my roommate, and you know, we're your stereotypical bachelor's place decorated with pizza boxes and, and cans and, and all that stuff. And sometimes I would get lazy, right? I, I wouldn't, uh, I, I would come home and either I'd forget or whatever, and then I'd have to go to work and I'd be like, oh, I, I forgot to wash the rags. But they actually, they just need to be dry, right? I know. Lord have mercy on my soul. So. I would just throw them in the dryer and then go to work because they just needed to be dry. It didn't take too long for my roommate and then for me to, to start to notice that when we would put on our freshly washed and dried clothing, it would have a bit of an odor to it. It was, it was pretty nasty, but he, he didn't know what was going on. For him, it, it just looked like a dryer and it worked like a dryer. So. It should have been a dryer, but what came out of it was pretty stanky and, and not very useful. You see, the dryer, it needed to be cleansed from the inside out. 
And, and that's what David is trying to get at here, that, that I and we, there's, there needs to be some cleansing that have to happen because we can't ourselves, we can't make life matter, but we can seek to live life right. There just needs to be a change that comes through our, our thoughts and our words and our actions in order to help them make them good, true, and beautiful. So looking to God is the one we follow, the, the creator of life for what is good. That just makes sense, doesn't it? Verse 3, the godly people in the land. So these are the people that do. They look to God and they follow after him. And David's really excited about this, right? The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Now, if you're here today and you don't have a person that's in your life, this is kind of like I'm pushing pause a little bit, but if you have a person, don't have a person in your life that you would consider a mentor, I really, really encourage you to find one, to find somebody that who's following after, who you want to follow after, who, who knows things, who does things, leads a mostly good life, and to hit your wagon to them. Because I know for myself, it, the mentors have played a huge, pivotal role in my life, and it's, it's good. And, and David is saying it's, these people are really exciting. He actually is getting pleasure from other people's awesomeness, right? And, and because they're following after God. But there's, there's always two sides to that societal coin, right? And verse 4, troubles, though, multiply for those who chase after other gods. And David says, I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. You see, on, the, on this journey, there's always going to be the potential to, to be waylaid, to be ambushed by other things, by these other little gods. And Following Jebus, it doesn't make it any easier if we're trying to do things our way. So in our song, David here is pointing out that it never ends well for anybody who looks to anything or anyone other than God for guidance, for how to live life. So if, if we're here today and we're, a follow, if we're following Jebus, if we've gotten behind him, that, that siren song of temptation is often going to be too sweet for us to ignore. In my experience, that temptation usually takes form or is empowered by a disillusionment with life. We get bored. Has anyone here heard of dark tourism? Dark tourism? It's this thing. It's like regular tourism, but instead of going to like cultists or the Colosseum, you vacation in spots known for death and destruction. So you would go to like a, a current war zone or, or a past war zone. You would go to a place that's been irradiated through nuclear disaster. You would visit a place that's seen a horrific natural disaster or go visit uh, gangland territory in South America, places like that. There's a guy, his name is David Ferrier, and he's created a kind of a documentary about it. And, sorry. And this is how he described it. It's like taking a weird holiday. It's some escapism before going back to your normal, dull existence. Later, he talks about, uh, in one episode, he says, I've been forced out of my comfort zone. And by that, he means, in this one episode, he exposed himself to over 50 times the amount of radiation that a person's supposed to expose themselves to when he visited the, the scene of the tsunami and subsequent nuclear disaster in Japan. He said that pushed him outside of his comfort zone. 
And he says, and somehow it's made me even more happy to be alive. I, I should hope so. But you're probably asking yourself, why do we need something so drastic as a way to make ourselves feel alive? And, and well, the answer to that question is we don't. We, we don't need stuff that drastic. I think often we, we fall prey to things that are far more accessible and base. Like we start chasing money. Or, or we start trying to accumulate stuff or to make our name great or, or tr- chasing the dude or the dudette down the street. Or sometimes we actually take really good things like, like our family, like the members of our family, and, and we start to turn them into little gods worthy of worship. In fact, it's, it's actually more often than not, that's what gets us, right? It's, it's too much of a good thing. It's not the bad things, like, because we typically know they're bad things. It's usually the good things are the things that get us. But David says there's nothing but trouble when we put our hope in anything other than God. It's, it's God who makes life matter, not the, the things that are in it. Verse 5, he, he gets into that. He says, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I think sometimes in our journey, we get so caught up with what's coming or with what we think should be coming that instead of feeling peace, restlessness becomes our prize. If there's one thing our culture is good at, it's developing discontentment. It's because we're predisposed to look at the path we're on and noticing clearly what's missing from it, rather than celebrating and engaging what is on it. See, David, the words that he uses here, inheritance and cup, or portion and cup in some of your translations, they're metaphors for God's sustenance. And so one of the ways that God makes life matter is by bringing contentment to life. Not saying it's not going to be tough, because it is. Life is going to be tough. But we can still be content through that. And he speaks to that when he says, verse 7, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken. He knows trouble's going to come, but he says, I will not be shaken off my foundation, for he, God, is right beside me. It's no wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice, for my body rests in safety. See, I, I'm really, really glad for the people in my life. I'm grateful for the people in my life, and, and a lot of them now are people right here at, at Central. And if, if you're new here, uh, I wanted to say welcome. We have that affinity, right? And I hope that you're experiencing so far, or if you've been here a long time, you experience the same thing we've experienced since coming here, and that's a sense of true community and, and a, a place that wants to see lives transform with the gospel. It's, it's a fantastic place to be. But the problem with people is that we, they often let us down, right? And so this is why often Christians moo when they think about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. I know some of you are asking, did he just say Christians moo? Allow me to demonstrate. Lord, we're so grateful for you and and we're so glad that you're here today with us. We're blessed by your presence. 
See, Christian mooing. You guys know what I'm saying? You guys, you're at a prayer meeting and people are praying and everyone around you is like, hmm. It's Christian mooing. But this is, it's a good thing, right? Because it's this guttural, it's this visceral response that we get when we come face to face with a holy and wonderful God. When someone's talking about these attributes, it's like right now David is giving us reason. Like I, I, You're probably doing that in your mind as I'm reading those great things that David's talking about. He's my guide. And you're thinking, mm, that's good. That's good. See, David gives us reason to think about this because of his confidence. right? You'll notice that as he's talking. He's speaking from his experience. He's lived a life not all the time, but a lot of time, with this assumption that God is there and that he cares for him, that it's real. God has guided him, taught him, comforted him. And that's not all. Verse 10, For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. No, you will show me the way of life. Now, it's important for us to understand that David is writing this about a, a real experience. He was in a real context, and God was pulling him out of a bad situation, an untimely death. But later, there's going to be a, a couple of guys named Peter and Paul who are going to use this same text and attribute it to Jesus and talk about how Jesus has defeated death, that he's taken this thing that used to be considered the end, and he's turned it into a portal into something amazing. That's what Jesus has done. So David was not only saved from physical death by the Lord, but he was shown what it truly means to live life well. To live life the way God wants to do it. We ask ourselves, well, what does that look like? And I think one of the, the truest illustrations that I can think of comes from a movie, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's the third installment it's got Sean Connery in it you know we named the dog Indiana <laughs> sorry I won't do that again <laughs> I just can't help myself uh, but at any rate so fast forward to the end of the movie the bad guys are in control Indiana's there and they're in a room with strangely a Knights Templar the fountain of youth and a bunch of empty cups and the problem for Indiana is twofold one that the bad guys are in control. Two, that you can only pick one cup. And it has to be the cup of Jesus if you want to drink from the fountain of youth. So the bad guys, the ball's in their court, they're in control, so they go and they choose this cup. It's this golden, gleaming, bejeweled cup. And he looks at it, he says, truly, this is the cup of the king of kings. And he dips it into the fountain of youth and takes a big sip and self-satisfied look, thinking, I'm immortal, but he chose wrong. So then it's Indiana's turn, and he goes through, and he looks through all of these cups, and he chooses a cup that is far less glamorous. It's this kind of wooden, scratched, beaten-up-looking cup, and, and he grabs it, and he says, now this is the cup of a carpenter. This is, this is the cup of a, of a regular guy. Now, the Jesus way, contrary to some popular belief, is not the glamorous way. I think we, we often, we want to choose the path that has the most comfort on it, right? Like we, want to, we want the one that has the most jewels. 
But if we ask God to show us the way, his way, we need to be prepared for the humble road. But oh, what a road it is. It may be humble, but it is full of adventure. If it's lived as though it depends, if if I live life in dependence on God as if success in life is dependent on him. If If God makes life matter, it's because God makes life. And Jesus came here, and he lived it with us. He showed us the way. He showed us his way. I know along my journey, God was winking at me through beautiful creation and, and through some wonderful people that would come alongside me and try to take this guy who is stuck in this mire of loserdom thinking, right? Coming alongside me and trying to show me that I actually had value, that I was created in the image of God and that things could actually mattered, or things actually mattered. And then I, I encountered the man of Jesus, and he, and he showed me his way. I got to read about him and his life and how everything he did was infused with meaning and purpose. Everything that he did counted, and he lived life as if it mattered. He showed me that, that my life mattered if I would follow him. He even says at one point that he is the way and the truth and the life and that if I would go through him, if I would meet him, then I would meet God. And then everything would change. But how's that supposed to feel? Verse 11 again, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Here I actually really like the way the ESV puts those last two parts when the the translators make it. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So when I'm in this place, I get this feeling. It's like you're working on a project and you finally get the right bit to to unscrew that part. Or you're, you're baking and you finally find the perfect balance between sweet and tart for that pie. Or, or you're up to bat, and you, and you get a hold of one right on the sweet spot. It makes that sound. The other day, in fact, Sarah, she came home with a farm-fresh pepper for me, and I'd never had a farm-fresh pepper before. And, and it turns out it, it tasted as though I had never actually eaten a pepper before. It was so delicious. I, I, I felt like I was tasting something for the first time. This is kind of like finding meaning, purpose, and and joy in the Lord. In fact, David, in Psalm 34, and I I know I'm supposed to just be talking about Psalm 16 today, but but Matt's not here, so we'll just make this our our little secret. But in Psalm 34, David says that we're to taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience it, and we can see that. Was this your experience? Do you feel like your life fits right now. I'm not saying, is everything going right? That's not going to happen this side of eternity. But do you feel like the choices you made, the path you're on is the right path? Are you experiencing joy? Does your life bring you pleasure? See, I know we're taught that we're not supposed to be able to trust our feelings, but I just think it's interesting that typically before we do anything dumb, we have to talk ourselves into it, right? We, we, we use our intellect 
a little bit hard and, and justify what we're trying to do. So even though our feelings can lead us astray, I think God's given them to us for a good purpose, and that purpose is to help us get our bearings, because that's what we need to do today, right? We need to, we need to give ourselves a heart check, and we, we can tell if something bad is happening. Our God's going to tell us. The Spirit is going to help us see that, because, of course, we can use Scripture, but oftentimes we end up using it wrong, don't we? Sometimes we can use it as a hammer instead of a, a life preserver, I mean, it's, it's good for all things, faith and practice. We want to look to that, line our lives up with that, but it's got to feel right too. We've got to be on the right path as far as that goes. The di- because the problem is, is the, is the Jesus way, it's really easy to confuse the Jesus way with, with the Jeebus way. The Jesus way, I'll tell you, it's the, the big thing that's going to set it apart is that it's all about the other. Living to love God and other people, it's tough, and it it rubs against much of our instinct. So it's actually really cool that we don't have to do it alone, right? We can do this in, in the context of community. We have one another, but most importantly, we have the Spirit of God is given to us by Jesus. I love this. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 15, Paul writes, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's the Jesus way. I'm going to close with this. A long time ago, uh, through the prophet Ezekiel, God told this interesting story, and he, he paints this picture of his people who have gone astray, that they're feeling spiritual death. And he envisions it as a sea of skeletons, of dry bones as far as, the light, as far as the eye can see, that there's no life. Do you remember my story? That, that's how I felt, meaninglessness. And maybe some of you are feeling that right now or have gone through that. But in the story, God is working. It, do, it doesn't stay that way. God is working. And through his power, the bones in this sort of weird and kind of gross reversal of fortune start to grow again. They're growing the sinew and the muscle and flesh and the people, they come alive. Don't you want to feel your soul come alive? Because God's working. I, I hope you know that. And, and he's, he's moving right here today among us. And, and he's calling out to each and every one of us maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, calling and asking us to follow him. I promise you, if you follow him, if you follow Jesus, life will be hard. Life will still suck sometimes. How's that for an invitation? You know, follow Jesus and life will still suck sometimes. But I, I promise you, though, that there will also be joy that through following Jesus, your life will become more colorful, that things will start to matter more, that other people will start to matter more. The world around you, caring for it, will start to matter more. Taking care of ourselves, trying to become better people, that will matter more. And most importantly, praising and worshiping, pleasing our God, will start to matter more. Why? Because God makes life matter. Let's pray. 
Father, I am so grateful for today. I'm so grateful that you are here with us and that you're calling to us. And whether we're hearing this for the first time or for the hundredth time, pray that we will answer your call to either follow you for the first time or to renew ourselves in you. We're so grateful for your son, for your spirit, for the ways that you work in our lives to help us see that you do make life matter and we can find true meaning and purpose in the fullness of joy in your presence. We lift this up in the name of the power of your son, Jesus. Amen.